Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Welcome to the Merrick's podcast. My name is Jonas Schneider, and today I'm joined by Merrick's analysts Aya Adachi and Alexander Brown to discuss China's increasing use of economic pressure against foreign companies and governments to reach its strategic goals and their new report on this exact topic. Aya, Alex, happy to have you on. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jonas. With growing geopolitical tensions, economic relations with China are now increasingly seen in the context of systemic rivalry and political risks to companies with business in China are on the rise. In our new report titled, Fasten Your Seatbelts, How to Manage China's Economic Coercion, Aya and Alexander analyze these risks and how China's utilization of economic pressure is changing. The term economic coercion, that is the threat or actual imposition of economic costs to push for strategic goals, is heard more often recently in connection to EU-China relations. One of the more prominent cases would be the sanctions put on Lithuania by China after it opened a Taiwan representative office in Vilnius. But more often, it is international companies that feel the economic pressure from Beijing, sometimes in reaction to the company's own actions, and sometimes they are just caught in a crossfire when their country of origin displeased Beijing. Companies from East Asia especially were made to experience this kind of backlash quite often over the last decade, making them important examples to better understand China's economic pressure. Alex, in your new study, you write that China has increased its use of economic pressure in past years and that there are now more triggers that could draw the eye of Beijing and result in economic punitive measures. How has China's use of economic coercion changed and why is Beijing increasingly relying on it? Right. So China is certainly using economic coercion more and more, and this means that the risks for European businesses in China are growing. It's really a topical issue at the moment. Still, the example that you mentioned with Lithuania, which took China's economic coercion a step further, actually, by not only targeting goods or the trade between Lithuania and China itself, but also other European firms which wanted to export goods, which include Lithuanian inputs to China. So these risks are growing. And here at Merricks, we thought it would be a really good idea to take a closer look at China's past use of economic coercion to help companies, but also governments to get a better understanding of how China uses this tool to its own ends. So we compiled a database uh, of all the known examples of economic coercion from February 2010 until March 2022. We found 123 cases and this is likely uh, to just be the tip of the iceberg because many businesses, if they are targeted by China, they're probably reluctant to make this information public lest they be targeted again or receive further attention from Chinese authorities. So we think this is there's probably a lot more going on. But um, just based on the known cases, we can see a real increase since 2018 in the frequency of China using economic coercion. So between 2010 and 2017, on average, there were less than four cases a year, which we could find. Between 2018 and 2021, this number increased to over 20 cases a year, so a noticeable increase. And we also noticed that the triggers 
for China to use economic coercion have become more diverse. So China uses economic coercion to defend its interests. And previously, these were primarily focused on issues of national security, uh, sovereignty, territorial disputes. Whenever China felt like its interests related to Hong Kong, Taiwan, Xinjiang, or its claims to territory in the South China Sea were being challenged, then it felt like it had to respond. These are what we consider to be its traditional red lines. But um, more recently, we see China hitting back when it's criticized for its handling of the outbreak of COVID-19, or when it feels like Chinese firms are being discriminated against overseas, like in the case of Huawei, not being able to participate fully in the build out of 5G networks overseas. So these are new red lines which are emerging. And essentially what's happening is China is becoming economically more important. This means its interests overseas are growing and it's also becoming more confident in its ability to stand up and try and defend these interests. So uh, its use of economic coercion is becoming more and more frequent. I am considering that economic coercion can be a bit of a double-edged sword since it carries the risk of weakening China's own economy. How does Beijing choose when and where to apply economic pressure? That's a great question. Beijing is very careful in, in choosing its measures and it tries to minimize costs as much as possible. In our study, we have identified four patterns that align with this principle. First of all, Beijing tries to target products that can be sourced from elsewhere. This happened in the case of Canada, for example. Beijing banned soybeans and canola oil after Meng Wanzhou was arrested, and it was able to import those commodities from other countries. A second pattern is Beijing stays away from targeting strategically relevant companies. They are essential for industrial upgrading and provide key technologies to China's economy. So it's very unlikely that Beijing would target companies like TSMC, for example. A third pattern is China's use of measures to support local firms. And by doing so, it tries to hit two birds with one stone. For example, steering national boycotts can boost consumption of local brands. And last but not least, Beijing uses empty threats. Those are instances where a threat of economic coercion ends up not being implemented. Uh, they are often cases where following through would be too costly. Empty threats made up 20% of cases in our study and are quite a significant share, which should be equally considered when assessing a company's exposure to risk. So considering this, did China's response to the visit of Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan fit the mold of its previous use of economic coercion? Yes, uh, Beijing banned 100 food products before Pelosi's visit, and as her arrival was confirmed, the number was increased to several thousands. Measures also included an export ban of sand. These responses are certainly unprecedented in terms of scale, but overall, they follow the same pattern as laid out in our study. Even though Nancy Pelosi met with business executives from top technology firms in Taiwan, including TSMC, they were not the ones that were targeted. And while this time around, it will be difficult for Taiwanese food industry to diversify their ex export to other countries due to the sheer amount of products being targeted, they are not a major threat to the Taiwanese economy.
Similarly, Taiwan had started diversifying sand imports from China 15 years ago, and the export ban from China will not have a negative impact on Taiwan. What then are the sectors and companies most vulnerable, and which would you consider to be fairly resilient? Well, we can see based on the patterns which I just described quite clearly what sort of companies are more at risk and which are more protected on the more at risk side, it's really companies in the consumer and agricultural goods, commodities and services sectors, uh, which are the more frequent targets of retaliation. Uh, In 2020, after Australia led calls for an independent investigation into the origins of COVID-19, China hit back by targeting Australia's raw materials and agricultural goods, restricting the imports of these goods, things like coal, barley, and wine. Uh, Same story when we look back to the incident uh, with South Korea in 2017, when or after the US installed the Saad satellite missile defense system in South Korea, China then restricted the flow of Chinese tourists to South Korea and also limited market access for Korean consumer goods. So these are sectors which are repeatedly targeted, and this is also very relevant for European firms. There have been a number of consumer good firms from Europe which have been subject to popular boycotts within China. So companies such as Leica, Dior, Versace, Zara, a number of fashion brands, but also IKEA was targeted by a popular boycott at one stage. So certainly consumer good firms are more vulnerable On the other side, the more secure companies are really high-tech companies, ones which are crucial for China's economic development, which bring a lot of investment into the country and which are really valued by the Chinese government. So some examples on this side would be companies such as Foxconn, Volkswagen, um, Apple or Toyota. These are firms which generate a lot of jobs in China, tens if not hundreds of thousands of jobs and also bring a lot of technology into the country. So they are basically off limits. And I think it's been really noticeable just the fact that companies like TSMC and Samsung have not been targeted by China despite frequent tensions between China and Taiwan and South Korea. These are companies which are really important for China's access to semiconductors. So to their imports of semiconductors, but also to the buildup of China's local capabilities. So both these companies also have production facilities based in China. And so these kinds of firms, which are bringing not only technology into the country, but also helping China to build up its own capabilities, are in a much more secure position. I already referred in the introduction to the East Asian companies that have been hit quite frequently by economic coercion. You analyze these examples in your study, Aya. How, looking at these affected companies from Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan, how did they react to the pressure from Beijing? And what can we in Europe learn from these examples? Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan are China's neighbors. Their economic ties with China are much more interdependent. And due to their proximity and historical legacies, they all face 
their own set of political issues with Beijing. Taiwan and Japan have been among the early targets and frequent targets of Beijing. And all three countries are much more familiar with China and have learned to adapt to China's economic pressure. Vulnerable companies that sell consumer goods to China are much more cautious in navigating political issues. But overall, it seems that many targeted companies from Japan, South Korea, and China have diversified their economic ties to China, either as a result of being targeted or as part of reassessing their risk exposure with China. What consequences does this new trend of an increasing use of economic coercion have on European firms with business in China? And what do we have to look out for in the future? I think the main take-home message for European firms is that they need to factor in more risk into their investments in China. So now for, for many companies, either by their own actions, but also potentially just due to deteriorating political relations between Europe and China, they are now at risk of potentially being subjected to economic coercion from China. So it's really crucial that they don't put all their eggs in the China basket and pursue some form of diversification. They don't need to abandon the Chinese market, but they should be looking at diversifying away into other potential end markets, um, looking at their supply chains to make them more resilient and so on. I think there's another really crucial point. Companies need to evaluate where they stand in relation to China's strategic goals and adjust accordingly. So for the more vulnerable firms, they certainly need to take additional precautions and they should be rather careful in what they say publicly because if they do touch on one of China's red lines, they're quite likely to be hit. But then it's another story for companies which are in a more secure position. For firms which are relatively protected, they should not overreact to threats of being cut out of the Chinese market. For these firms, they really have leverage and it's crucial that they use that leverage to advocate for important issues for themselves, but also for other foreign firms, you know, fair treatment within the Chinese market and also standing up on certain issues which other companies can't afford to raise. I think even though risks overall are increasing, it's crucial that European firms do not fall silent and avoid frank exchanges with the Chinese government. If European companies simply fall into line and are always fearful of potential punishment from China, then China's use of economic coercion, this tactic will work and it will continue to use it. So it's important that countries and companies stand up to China and defend their own interests and values. So we need to look out for economic coercion, but especially the more secure companies should not back down and try to stand for the values they represent. Thank you, Aya. Thank you, Alex, for joining today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Merrick's Experts podcast. If you want to read our new monitor, Fast in Your Seatbelts, How to Manage China's Economic Coercion, visit our website at www.merrick's.org. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.